I would like to make a personal apology to the people of New Jersey for any jokes, off-color jokes I may have made last week about. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> They've been dealing with it. I, that's true. For a long time. Why are people so mean to Jersey? Well, just everyone, just be you. <laughs> Don't try to be anything else. Oh, we're doing this monologue again. All I'm saying is be yourself okay, and love yourself, even if you're Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, which is where we're about to go. Hi, Jillian Bezzavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Oh, you guys. Welcome back to part two. Listen, before we get to it, yeah. if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. Give it a select. Yeah, well, first of all, if you were on the Patreon, you got this episode last week because yeah. we did a double drop, right? Good for you, Yeah, good way. for you. Ad-free versions of these episodes. Then you get like the long-form series. You get The Vow. You get I'll Be Gone in the Dark. You get The Jinx. You get Making a Murder. The Staircase. Uh, Serial season one. Yeah, the only podcast we ever did and ever <laughs> will do. I need the visuals. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. I'll be gone in the dark. Lorena. Um, Said both of those, but yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. You can listen to them. I know people, I see a lot, which I think is very lovely. People re-listen to their favorites. Yes, that's true. Maybe Night that's Stalker. True. Night We're talking Stalker. about the golden age of serial killers over here. I know. Heaven's Gate. Lots of, yes. we got some good cult action very over there, Very cult too. over there. Playing Broadway, April 11th. Don't forget, if you have tickets, we better see you there. We better. And if you have tickets and you can't go, get in the Facebook group, go to that pinned post and get your tickets to somebody else. They will pay face value for the tickets you have. It's going to be so crazy. Yeah, if you're looking for tickets, I've, I, I, I'm seeing transactions happening in real time. Yes. And I'm telling you, we're going to do a standby line day of. We're trying to get in everybody who wants to be there. <sighs> we're doing our best. Deep breaths, everybody. Oh, God. We also have to, like, make a show, a show. and know. learn a little bit of choreo. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot going on before April 11th. Corey, oh my God. Corey, oh right? no. <laughs> Dream come true. All right, girls, tell them what we're talking about today. So we're talking about crime scene, the Times Square killer. Yeah. Now we are picking up in the middle of episode two. And then... Can you do a little bit like previously on? Previously on, there is a piece of shit named Richie Cottingham. We've been calling him Richie the Cunningham. The co- We've been doing some Happy Days bits. Uh, the Fonz. Hey, hey! That was the Fonz. So he's an asshole and he's targeting sex workers and people wrongly don't give a shit about sex workers. So a lot of his murders have gone unnoticed or cared about. And where we kind of left off was that while like we're focusing on Times Square, like there's been a lot of murders there. There's been like an equal number of murders and attacks in New Jersey, where we're, this guy lives. Right. And that's where we're going today. Because jurisdiction, people can't cross state lines. Again, it's across the river. It's I know. It's not far. And it's the, not Mars. New York and New Jersey, they cannot, they're not talking about this, so they're not connecting the dots. Right. So now we're- No in, one is safe ever, by the way. Ever. You're never safe. I could die. I could keel over. <laughs> and it would be no one's fault. No. But I could also get murdered on the way home. You could also like be walking down the street and like a, an air conditioner could fall in your head. Yeah. Do you ever, ever think about that happening? I, I think about that all the time. I do, especially ever since I got hit by a car <laughs> years ago coming out of dinner. My friend can't even talk what? about it. Oh yeah, I got hit by a car. Like on the, was, did you walk into the street? I was crossing. I had the light. Okay. I had the guy. You guys, finger in my face and everything. <laughs> I was right. And it was a guy in one of those cabs that's like not regulated by anything. Uh-huh. We used to call it the G word cab. But we oh, don't we say, don't that, say anymore. that anymore. But it's one of those unregulated cabs. Uh-huh. And he got out. He hit me. I let la- hello cold open. All right, welcome <laughs> to the outtakes or whatever. I landed on the roof of the on the the front. Not you the did roof, like a full Lisa Kudrow. No, 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 no. It was uh, the hood of the car. Then uh-huh. he stopped, and I slammed onto the floor, the ground, the street, whatever. But thankfully, it was winter, so I was really bundled up, and oh the EMTs God. were like, "That is kind of what saved you." And I and that was when the 
the show Heroes was on. Do you remember uh-huh, that show uh-huh, Heroes? Uh-huh. Because I kind of got up and I was like, what? And these like bros <laughs> were like, you're like the chick from Heroes, yeah, the cheerleader Hayden from Pantisier Heroes. who was mean to me. Who was mean to you. Yeah. And my friend was such a wreck that when the EMTs came, they thought she was the one who got hit by a car because she was hysterical. <laughs> were and you hanging out with me? Was no, it me? No, my friend Mary Kate Burke. And to this day, she hasn't gone to the restaurant. It's Finestra on the Upper East Side. She, has, she can't go. Because she's so traumatized by what happened. And and then... We're walking crazy. I, I, I kept my plans. I went to the bar. I don't even remember how this story started, but I am so glad we're here. Yeah, I don't know what happened either. We were in New Jersey, and yeah, then yeah, now yeah. I'm saying my story. Oh, about how you can die at any moment. Oh, yeah. Never <laughs> It safe. always comes back totally. to that. You can drop dead at any moment. Or get hit by a car. Or by, hit by an air conditioner. <laughs> Anyway, it's May 5th, 1980. Oh, about 32 minutes away from New York City in New Jersey. At the Quality Inn Motel. We're at the Quality Inn Motel in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. Housekeeping, which is like honestly a job that doesn't get enough credit no. for like what they yeah. could possibly walk into. I mean, and I worked in hotels for eight, nine years or whatever. These people work so fucking hard. So hard. You better be tipping them. Yes. And I'm telling you, they they encounter bodies. Our yes. first live show we ever yes. did at the Yotel, yep. the weekend before we did our show, horrible. there was like a situation where a maid encountered a body. Horrible. It was fucking horrible. So the maid went into room 132. Oh, God. She's vacuuming the room. Bunk, bunk. She's hitting something under the bed. She looks under the bed. There's a body of a naked woman with her hands handcuffed behind her back. The way they described this, I feel like they wanted us to laugh. Because they're like, Yeah, she was- Joe, I didn't like this, how this was handled. And Ron Howard, <laughs> Richie know. Cunningham. Okay, get it Joe, together. She's vacuuming and she's like bumping up against something under the bed. And she like goes under the bed to see what's down there. And she finds a naked body of a handcuffed woman. Yeah, she her hands are handcuffed behind her back. And it's Bergen County. Those are the cops that catch the case. And yeah. they say that the cause of death is strangulation. Yes. So we learn about this woman. She's 19 years old. Her name is Valerie Street. She's a sex worker. She got to New York City like a few days ago. She came from Miami and she just got to town. Yeah, she was just arrested in Miami. She's 19. And so one teeny tiny silver lining here, the murderer left a latent fingerprint. Finally, yes. finally, yes. we have something that we can work with here. But because it's New Jersey and not New York, it doesn't match anybody. Because they only search the system in New Jersey. Now, and now, yeah, now, yeah, and now yes. tell me. Okay. Her hands are over her eyes. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel, Anything can happen, you guys. I feel like Elmo, where he's like, this is the sticking point, Francesca. Okay. Rocco is a rock. But I, I feel crazy because if you know that she's in New York. Yes. Right? She just got to New York. Could you just try it? I know. I mean, maybe in 1980, it was like so horribly difficult to search those records, well, but can you they, do it anyway? They do tell us that there was no system. So people were examining fingerprints with their eyes. Right, right, right. Like they were doing it under microscopes. And I appreciate the hard work, yes. but like someone died and her name is Valerie <laughs> and like just do it. Then what Listen, did she show up to work for? You're not going to like do it. I don't I'm understand. I'm not on their side. I'm just explaining. I'm so mad at like the... How many different ways these women fell through the cracks? Like, it's just infuriating. The law enforcement agencies in Burton County continued to investigate. And that's when uh, one of the detectives remembered a crime that took place over two years before, where a woman was murdered in the same fashion. This one other detective was like, oh, you know what? 
Now that I'm thinking about it, this does remind me of a crime that happened a couple years ago. Same kind of way, same, same place, motel. same motel. Quality and motel. And I said, it literally takes somebody just remembering. Like, yeah. what if Bob wasn't on the case that day? Right, or what if he was, you know, left early? Totally. God forbid. It's like, you would think that, like, the body of a young woman under a bed at a motel would stand out if it was today or two years ago. That is an unsolved case, yes, mind yes, you. Yes, Or is it? Like, what are you guys doing all day in New Jersey? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wishing 19... they were in New York. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want you to be yourself. I promised myself I wouldn't dig at New Jersey, but you, 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 ha- you have to stop. It, you make it so easy. So this other case back at the Quality Inn like a couple years ago, two yeah. years ago, her name was Marianne Carr. She was not a sex worker. She was a nurse. This was an open homicide from December 16, 1977. She was supposed to meet her mother-in-law for supper, and she didn't show up. They had a witness who saw Marianne Carr arguing with a man in the dimly lit parking lot. By her apartment in Little Ferry, New Jersey, her body was found the following day in the parking lot of the Quality Inn Motel in Hasbrook Heights. What happened to Marianne is that she was on her way to meet her mother-in-law for dinner, which is very nice of her to do. Sometimes mother-in-laws can be horrifying. I would have dinner with my mother-in-law. Hi, Judy. She listens. Hey, Judy. Hey, Judy. What's up, girl? Witnesses saw her fighting with a guy at a dimly lit parking lot of the Quality Inn, and that's where her body was found. Right. And she was also handcuffed, by the way. So there are a lot of connections. It's becoming very clear. Yeah, and there was like the the ligature strangulation around her neck. It's like this guy's got a pattern. Right. So now we're back to Romola, whose dad was the porn king of Times Square or whatever. Walking down the deuce. It was shocking and pretty filthy. My father could have taken 42nd Street and made it a pretty thing, but his personality was in the gutter. Ramala, like, have a drink, Ramala. She's like, my dad could have made the deuce a pretty thing. The deuce is 42nd Street, by the way. And she's like, yes. but no, his personality was shit, so he dragged us all down with him. But this is what I'm saying. Ramla, like, her, she loves that her dad was the porn king of 42nd Street, but she also thinks the work is gross. Does she? I don't know. Or like, is she doing it because there's a camera in her face? She is sitting here in leopard print, so anything is possible. Like, he was the porn king of New York. Her book is about the princess of Times Square. Right. So it's like, do you love it? I'm just saying, if you are so horrified by what you saw in Times Square, don't go to the village. Yeah. Don't go to the village, and girl. And I also think if you grew up in that life, uh-huh. it's not you're not so precious about it. Totally. If that's how you grew up and your dad was the porn king, because now she's like, oh, he loved pushing the envelope. Yeah. And so now he has live sex acts, which is people having sex on stage with everybody watching. And Michael Lawrence is here. I will just say this actually is mind blowing to me. Having like a live sex show, that is surprising to me. And Michael Lawrence is here to spill all the tea. He wants to tell us everything. At Showworld, my wife, Brandy, and I got into doing live shows. So basically, there's a stage with a bed, no barrier, just a live show. You're naked. Your back is to the audience. It was up to us at that point, but you had to at least three positions so that the audience could see the penetration. So he and his wife, Brandy, who's not here, I would love to talk to her. They did live sex shows. He tells us all about it. There's a bed on stage. People would watch you. Let me make it clear. It is not sexy. Uh It is not like like a burlesque joint, you know, where it's kind of like sexy. Are they there to like 
do what you do when you're alone in a porn booth or whatever. I am positive that people are jerking off okay. to the sex. I'm positive of it. I don't like it. No. But it's like, you know, like we see photos and it's like these shitty like Laura Ashley sheets like uh-huh. half on the bed. You can see the mattress. It's not like sultry and sexy like burlesque. But it's like seedy. Michael and Brandy love it. They love their jobs. They say you have to do at least three positions so people can see the penetration. Because then that's a half hour show. And they do eight shows a day. Michael. I know. Wait a second. This is like before the pills and all the stuff that could like help with that i wonder because no one cares about what michael's doing i mean they do they could i'm sure people are interested but i wonder if michael has to do something complete the task every time i don't know that that's actually possible i don't know how this i this is new to me live sex shows never in my life right now i'm scandalized all right because michael's like people from out of state would be sitting there like oh god you know what is this meanwhile the regular patrons wouldn't even flinch my wife and I did eight shows a day. We had a following. Guys would actually come just to watch her and me. The tourists would be like, oh, man, what's this? But the regulars would be all about it. Now, yeah. Michael, I ask you, I believe you. <laughs> yes. Tourists yes. from Wisconsin or Jersey or wherever you're coming from, what did they think was happening at Show World? Because they make it super obvious that there were, like, triple X movies happening. Yes. Like, it's not like they walked into, like, a church and then there are two people <laughs> fucking on a mattress. It's like they knew they're in the they're in the 40 Deuce, 8th and 40 Deuce. They know exactly what they walked into. And they're like, what? The one thing that I will say is that like they didn't give Michael and Brandy a dressing room you know what I mean because between shows Brandy has to go hide in the bathroom he says we had a following like people loved them they were like the act to go see and so Michael maybe quote of the episode maybe quote of the series but men have a tendency to be what's the word stupid men have a tendency to be what's the word word? stupid i'm like michael and also me so he again doubles down he's like i saw it firsthand with my wife the entitlement she's naked she just did a sex show i could do whatever i want yeah absolutely not he's saying that's what the 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 men are saying yes because they would spend the on the view with the onlookers the audience (laughs) she would go into the bathroom into a stall in between shows and men would follow her in and try to grab at her over the stall, under the stall. Right. She had to beat them off with her fucking shoe. And Michael was like, excuse me. And then he'd yeah. go in and beat the shit out of these creepy guys. Like, right. like yeah. men, like, isn't it enough? She I know. just had sex with her husband in front of you and you jerked <laughs> off to it. Can you give her a minute? <laughs> God, we can't do anything. We can't even give them what they want. We, she gave you what you paid for. I, I also, she has to pee after she has sex. Yes. I, I Listen, we used to make those Eucora ads. I know. So you got to do it. Yes. And Michael's like, look, you're either a victim or a predator. That's right. sort of like the vibe here, yes. right? Except for Michael. Michael seems pretty great. I love Michael. Very honest. But Brandy's not here, so who knows? Who knows? You know I hope I mean? she's okay. Can someone, could, we get, could you tell us where she is so we don't have to worry that you killed her? Joe, you've been making document. You know how many, You know how much on-screen text you had in the Paradise Lost documentaries? It was so helpful. Mm-hmm. So much of it. It takes two seconds. Two seconds, Joe. A little bit of context. I've heard that Joe is very precious about feedback about his documentaries. I've heard that too from so we'll a number see. of people. <laughs> so we will see. Ron Howard, I'm talking to you too, buddy, because you're involved in this. I gotta say, I actually really like this documentary, but I'm I'm always gonna have feedback, Joe. Always. Yeah.
So Times Square is getting worse and worse. The cops didn't care. And on top of that, the city, in the worst of it, in the thick of it, the city's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take 5,000 cops off the streets. I know. Because <laughs> of the and, fiscal crisis. And we've heard of this before, but like that's why the crime is just through the roof, especially in Midtown. So the cops, instead of doing their jobs, just released a pamphlet <laughs> called Welcome to Fear City. Fear City, you can hear it on the Patreon. We covered it. Uh, and they have like the Grim Reaper on the front. And I'm yes. like, super helpful. Thank you so much. This is It's a survival guide. I also have screenshots. Oh, my God. I mean, take it. Number one. Stay off the streets after 6, 6 p.m. <laughs> Do not be misled by the late sunsets during the summer season. If you walk in Midtown around 7.30, you will observe that the streets are nearly deserted. Oh Number two, God. do not walk. <laughs> it could be a subset of one. Yeah, totally. Do not walk. If you must leave your hotel after 6 p.m., don't go alone. Summon a radio taxi by telephone. This what are those words? written by the fucking police, you guys. Or ask the hotel doorman to call a taxi while you remain in the hotel lobby. <laughs> Number three, avoid public transportation. <laughs> Subway crime is so high that the city recently had to close off the rear half of each train in the evening oh so that God. passengers could huddle together <laughs> and be better protected. Number oh four, remain in Manhattan. <laughs> Number three is about how dangerous Manhattan is. Yes, <laughs> but stay there. Number four. Police and fire protection in other areas of the city is grossly inadequate and will become more inadequate. In the South Bronx, which is known to the police officers as Fort Apache, oh. arson has become an uncontrollable problem. Oh, my God. Number five, protect your property. All about the theft. Again, number six, safeguard your handbag. Th those are the same things. <laughs> number seven, conceal property in automobiles. What? Which is it? Which is it? Then it ends. It ends with the words "good luck" and a picture of the Grim Reaper. Then suddenly, like we meet this guy Sidney Baumgarten, who's the assistant to the mayor, and he's like, "All right, we got to do something about this." Fear the Fear City pamphlet isn't working. We had identified 450 illicit establishments: massage parlors, topless, bottomless bars, drug dens, all the illegal activities that were going on. I said, this guy, Sydney, is no fucking fun at all. No. He makes a list of, like, all the sex parlors and, like, all the stuff that is, like, taking Times Square down. And he makes it his personal mission to shut each one of them down. He identified over 450 illicit establishments. <laughs> and now, you know, with signs like the filthiest show in town, I can't imagine these places are We're hard, hard to, to find. find. Right? He's talking massage parlors, topless and bottomless bars. Naked bars. Naked drug bar. dens. I'm like, all right, the drug dens, I understand, right? See, now, I, to me, they're shutting them down based on how they had electricity wired. Yeah. Like, they're finding technicalities. Yes. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh-huh. The drug dens, you're looking for technicalities for the drug den? Right. Or, like, the sex working spots. You know if what I mean? If it's so illegal, right. then it just feels like you're going to get them on, like, you know, like, the equivalent of, like, stealing someone's internet. Well, and I will say, like, he gives the example of a massage parlor that was stealing electricity from their neighbor and so Con Ed shut it down so the massage parlor started using candles so the fire department comes in and shuts it down and I said in fairness that does sound very dangerous it's incredibly <laughs> dangerous but like you didn't need to do all that. Imagine, no. imagine putting all that effort into actually I doing know. your job. I know. Instead I know. of like finding ways to make them break their permit or whatever. Oh, guess who's super mad about it? Marty the Porno <laughs> King. <laughs> Marty. <laughs> Marty's like, this is this is worse than the Salem Witch Trials. I, <laughs> I think that it's such nonsense. What is going on today is such nonsense. And all, all the money that's being spent, we're going to look back at it as we look back today on what Massachusetts did to the witches up there in those days. 
It's like how they got those witches up in Massachusetts. Get a grip, Marty. Come Everyone on. Everyone needs a drink. That other guy, the ones who shut down all the parlors, he needs a drink too. And also, Marty's loving every second of totally. this. He's like, oh, public enemy number one. He was arrested 12 times. He always got off. But you know what he couldn't dodge? Tax evasion. Pay and your fucking taxes, listen, everybody. I'm telling you, this is what keeps Jillian and I up at night because we work for ourselves. I'm not going to prison over a piece of paper. <laughs> also, IRS, just tell me what I owe I know. I will just, just tell me. I will pay all of the money that I make to the IRS. I will do this for free. I've said this. Look me in the eyes, Pensavali. I cannot go to prison. Over a I piece cannot of paper. Go to pr- for any reason, I cannot go to prison. <laughs> but especially a piece of paper. Especially paper. Just tell me I I'm cannot happy go to, to jail. Pay it. Yeah. I, I will pay. Just tell yes, me. Yes, Don't make it so yes. complicated. No, you want me to go to prison, IRS. <laughs> I can feel it. Not for that. I wouldn't do well in there. You wouldn't. I would not do well. Neither, but we would not survive. Is there a homo tank? Like, if, would I get to go to the homo tank? I don't think that's fun either. Okay. <laughs> I also feel like if they're making podcasts in prison, yeah. maybe they can listen to podcasts in prison. Maybe. I've said a lot of shit about a lot of people. I, know. I would not do well. We can't go to jail, girl. We, we can't, can't go, go to, to jail. Oh, my God. Anyway, back, Michael, the live sex guy, yeah. Michael and Brandy. My arrest record runs eight times for doing the live shows. He's like, I was arrested eight times. Like, I sex workers are arrested constantly. What are you talking about? The electricity and the fire permit. Like, we were arrested constantly. And can I also just say they they don't mention it barely at all. The number of male gay sex workers in Times Square rivaled the number of women. Yes. And trans people. Yes. They only mention it one time. Yeah. But we're not talking about that at all. We're only talking about the women, which we should. They deserve to be talked about. Yeah. But like, this was a problem in the gay community too. Yes. We touch on it a little bit more later. Yeah. Hey, Dominic's back. Guess what? we learn. Richard was a leg shaker. Was of leg course shaker. he was. You know, they, they bounce their leg all day totally. long. Dominic goes, it drove me nuts. So even worse than the leg shaking, because it gets worse if you can yeah. believe it. He was talking about taking girls from New York, bringing them to this hotel in Jersey, and drew this complete diagram of the quality in hotel. The entrances, the exits, the easy ways in and the easy ways out. He told me You would go there with a date and then slip out whenever he wanted to and leave the girl completely undressed, no money. Richard is telling Dominic about picking up sex workers, bringing them to a motel in New Jersey, getting them naked, stealing their money, and then, like, tying them up and leaving them with absolutely nothing. I mean, it's fucking unbelievable. Like, it was fun to torture these women, even psychologically for him. So he was also telling the guys at work, like, oh, I drug them and it's so much easier and blah, blah, blah. So Dominic is like, I know what you're thinking. I know you You assume you'd say, like, what a sick son of a bitch yeah. this guy is. But he, Dominic was like, you have to understand the stories were so ridiculous. We didn't believe him. And that makes sense to me. Like, he I, has, I he's get a that. family man. Yeah. He works yeah. all the time. Like, he says, he's like, when did he have time to do this? Totally. He had a full life. He had a job. He had a family. Like, did he sleep? I know. So at first, you're like, all right, we, it's weird that you want to brag about this shit, but you didn't even do it. You're like at home with your wife. What are you talking about? Well, speaking of the wife, she eventually figures out that he's like out there buying sex work and she files for divorce. Yeah. We never get her name. Nope. We never see a picture. No. I hope she got on with her fucking yeah, life. Yeah, good for her. For like, I don't, Joe, I don't want to be involved. She's not returning <laughs> Joe Berlin just phone calls. Totally. But I'm thrilled because his life is starting to unravel. Yes. To which I say, good. Totally. <laughs> so remember, there are two jurisdictions at play. New York and New Jersey, apparently yes. on the opposite sides of the planet. Exactly. It's across the river. Yes. And believe me, it feels that way sometimes that Jersey is a world <laughs> okay, away, but right. it's not. Okay. Oh my uh, God. Well, that was the last one. <laughs> so then we learn about Leslie Ann Odell. Leslie Odell was a 19 year old girl. She had come into town through the Port Authority building. There are so many runaway kids at this time who were showing up at Port Authority on a bus. 
trying to figure out how to survive. And there were a lot of men who were looking to exploit them by turning them into sex workers. 19 years old, once again, comes to New York City via the Port Authority. Sometimes, somewhere, my mom's like, see? I tell you about the Port Authority. I mean, I took the bus into Port Authority from Cape Cod a hundred times in high school. Yeah. But, like, what happens is that the men wait for these young girls to come in on the bus, and then they exploit them. They turn them into sex workers. So, what happens to Leslie is that she meets a John. He had a ton of money. All cash. Yeah. She goes to the bar with him. His name is Tommy. He's super friendly. And Tommy buys her all these drinks. And she says... Can you help me? Like, like, I'm in a really shitty situation. I think you have money. I think you can help me. And that's what happens with all of these sex workers and their Johns. Like, they all are trying to get the fuck out. Of- we saw this in last week's episode, too. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Come with me to New Jersey. If you come with me, I will take you to the bus station in New Jersey. You'll get away from your trafficker. That'll be that. Yeah. And to be fair, like, in these instances, this is like survival sex work. These are women who are tricked into yes. it. They're not sex workers who are, like, wanting to do this. They yes. don't want to do it. Sometimes right. you want to. They don't. Yes. So he's like, you can totally trust me. First week, just got to drive a quick pit stop in Jersey real quick. (laughs) So she willingly gets in the car because she's like, all right, what's a stop in Jersey compared to like, okay, fine, 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 whatever you want. Of course, like fucking in the Lincoln Tunnel or whatever, he says to her, oh, by the way, I'd really like to have sex with you before I take you anywhere else. Before I safely put you on a bus to go enjoy your life. Exactly. He takes her to the Quality Inn. It's not Tommy. It's this Richie guy. Right. right? It's calling him in case you guys didn't know. Right. Yeah. The leg shaker. Like, of course. (laughs) Of course. He wanted to put her in handcuffs that he wanted to spank her. That's when the horror began. Next thing you know, he's attacking her. She was beaten, tortured, sexually assaulted, on and on for hours. He has her handcuffs, of course. He takes off the handcuffs and points a gun at her. Leslie grabs the gun. You guys, she gets the fucking gun away from this guy. Hero. She points it at him and she pulls the trigger. Fuck yes. She's going to kill this guy. But no, it's a fake gun. Like nothing comes out of it. And so now he's lunging at her with a knife. She screams bloody murder. One of the housekeepers hears it. Probably still traumatized from the murder of Valerie Street, honestly. Yeah. Because it's like, holy shit, here we go again. But you know what? She comes to the door to investigate and they actually send somebody to the door. And they said, is everything all right? Leslie went to the door, and he warned her to tell them that she was okay. She managed to get the door open just a a wee bit enough to make some kind of a hand signal. Cunningham says to Leslie, you fucking tell them everything is fine or Mm -hmm. I will kill you right now. And I guess Leslie's able to open the door enough and make a hand gesture that's like, I'm not okay. We don't know what she said, but yeah. it was probably like clear that she's not okay. And yeah. that's how this episode ends. Yes. Episode Wait, two. Is that, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember being like, well, thank God we're doing them all in one day because I would need to know what happened next. I must know. <laughs> So the next episode is called The End of an Era. I don't appreciate the wistful tone. <laughs> oh, The End of an Era. I don't like it, Joe. I thought the same thing. I was like, End of an Era? Are you talking about the golden age of serial killers? Is that what we're talking Depending about? Depending on who you're talking to in this documentary, right. they're like, yes. So anyway, so Leslie makes the hand signal. It works. Also, yes. like the blood-curdling scream probably tipped them off as well. And so right away, they call the police. At this point, he's in a panic. He knows the jig is up. He's got to get out of there. He attempts to make a run for it down the hallway. All of a sudden, a Hasbro Kites police officer came in, drew him down, told him to stop, raise his hands, said, if you don't stop, I'm going to blow you away. 
He drops everything he has. We're talking zip ties, ball gags, tape, sex toys, handcuffs, fucking sedatives. Of course. Of course. Like, oh my God. So Just like standing there in the middle of the hallway. Oh no. (laughs) Like, did you drop this? Asshole. So Leslie O'Dell tells them everything. Rape, torture. She was terrified. But what a fucking hero. Like, because of her, we get to the end of this Oh my God. Like, she she didn't even, that is so like, such survival. Just like, I got the gun, I'm shooting you. Like, that's it. She was going to kill this guy. Good. Yeah. So, I hate him. So she tells the cops everything. And here's Richard like, no, she went there willingly, which is true. But because of what you told her. And he's like, oh, she's just a sex worker. No crime here. Thankfully, again, I don't know how or why or whatever. But the cops put it together because it was the same fucking hotel as the other sex worker murders in Jersey. Here's the thing. It takes another fucking murder happening two weeks ago in order for this woman to be believed. And the one two years ago that some guy was like, I think I remember that. That's the fucking threshold. So they arrest him and Joe does this big reveal where it's like, and his name. And they took him to police headquarters and learned that his name was Richard Cottingham. Was Richard Cottingham. We know. Obviously, it's the same yes. guy. It's the leg yeah, shaker. We got it. The leg shaker. The leg shaker. <laughs> so remember, this is New Jersey. Yes. So back in New York, a world away, yes. these, quote, torso murders are unsolved. The case is closed. There's no communication between the agencies at all. No one thinks, maybe this guy's picking them up in New York, which is where the women all live. Right. Uh, like, they just got the guy, but nobody fucking knows, right? But Bergen County's on top of it. Yes. In Jersey, right? So they start investigating this guy, and they're piecing it all together. And they're like, and it's not the strongest case, because everything's the worst. Yeah. And I was like, they know that, like, all of these cases that, like, all of them at the same fucking motel, all of the women that have been murdered and attacked are all in the same way. But for some reason, that's still not enough evidence. Right. Right. So then they're like, they need to get more witnesses, survivors. They need to prove that he has a pattern that, like, how did he approach her? What did he say? How did it go bad? And this, again, is good police work because they're thinking, like, there's got to be a time before he was killing them. There has to have been a time when he was attacking women, but they were surviving. So they go back through the files and they find cases of sex workers that have been abused by their johns. And again, they go to them to say, like, is this the guy? And we we learn about a couple yes. of them. So yeah. we learn about Karen Schilt. She's survivor number one. It's March 22nd, 1978. And day after I was born, I was just a little bubba. I, this was a, there was another thing in another documentary that happened on March 22nd, 1978. I want to say it was a Gacy thing. It was a gay. It was thing. The, when he picked up that the gay guy in the end. Remember that one? Weird. This that happened the same day as this, and both of those things are the day after my birthday. Oh my god! Like, isn't it weird to think that these two things it. that we know are happening yes. on the same fucking day? And also, like, someone was having a really great day, and someone, you know what I mean? Like, oh my I god! I hope you mean my mother. Yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> The world is really crazy. It's like so it's crazy. really weird to think about all the things that are happening and not happening all, and yeah, like at all times. None of this is real. None it's of it's all real. a simulation theory. I believe that more and more every day. <laughs> so we learned about Karen and we have a woman doing her voiceover, but it's Karen's actual statement from documents, yep. right? Yep. He started talking to me and he asked me what I was doing there alone. He offered to buy her a drink. He asked me if I was a working girl. I told him that I was a waitress. The drink was loaded, and she began to feel ill. She left the bar. He followed her, offered her a ride home. She got into the car, 
And before you know it, they were driving into New Jersey. And she tells a story. They met at a bar, you know, making conversation. He roofies her. Yes. She immediately starts feeling sick, to which she's like, I'll offer you a ride home. Totally. Gets into the car willingly yep. because she's sick. Before you know it, she's in New Jersey. And she keeps passing out. And when she wakes up, she was bitten they and talk. Beaten. We have to talk about this for a second. Yeah. It's fucking terrible. But all of the women that we're about to meet have had their breasts Bitten savagely that created, like, really serious wounds. Right. Oh, God. And she woke up in a dark area. And this guy says to her, don't worry, I used to live here. So they're like, okay. So that's her story. The next one happens October 12th, 1978. Her name is Susan Geiger. She was approached near Broadway in the city. She was asked if she was a, quote, working girl. I told him I was. I needed the money. He says, come with me. She's like, I'm busy tonight. He's like, fine, meet me at this great bar tomorrow night, this place called Flanagan's. Yeah. And, you know, because he has a ton of money. And the same thing happens. Drugged her when she came to. My attacker was gone, took her jewelry. Her whole body hurt, bit her breasts Uh. again. And so he's like, oh, I I live in New Jersey and work in computers, right? Yes. Now, May 12th, 1980, Pamela Weisenfeld, survivor number three, the same exact story. Found her in Times Square. Tons of money, drugged, abused. They're piecing together these attacks, and it's like, this is the identical MO, location, et cetera. Richie Cunningham is the fucking guy. And it's just like, why aren't you getting on the phone with New York right now? I know. Like, he picked these women up in Times Square and brought them back to New Jersey. Aren't you saying maybe sometimes he stayed in New York with them? You know what I mean? I mean, maybe. He worked there. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's crazy. So now what they need to do is they have to get survivors to ID him. And this is going to be super difficult because survivors and sex workers are treated horribly. Well, first of all, survivors of of assault are treated horribly. Because even if you testified and ID'd the guy, you still needed a witness to the rape. A witness to the rape. Or else you could not get the guy for the fucking rape. And if you're a sex worker, please. They'd arrest you for being a sex worker. The men wouldn't get arrested. You'd be arrested. And it's like, well, you kind of loved it, didn't you? How much did it, didn't you get your money? Shut up. But now it's the 1980s, you guys, and the feminist movement is gaining steam. And my mom was like such a champion of really? all this. We see Gloria Steinem, yeah. like she's fucking amazing. One of the things that happened with the women's movement was that women now were feeling that they could and should determine sexual consent. Rape laws began to be changed. And women understood now that what was happening to them was not right. And they began to advocate for themselves. And rape crimes could no longer be swept under the rug, forgotten. And they're saying that, like, the feminist movement is taking so much charge that the Johns start getting arrested, too. Right. I mean, they're, yes, obviously. And consent becomes a thing. Well, yeah, they're standing in their power about <laughs> consent. And, like, sex workers can be raped. Yes. And for some reason, that was very, very, very hard for people to understand. Yes. And, like, these women are not letting these rapes get swept under the rug. And they're, like, getting new laws on the books that the men have to get in trouble, too, like you said. And, like, this is super empowering to all of his survivors. Right. So because of this movement, they decide to come forward and tell their stories because they they finally believe that they're going to be listened to and heard. Right. So then they have this lineup. They make him do a lineup. The three stories we just told you, Susan, Pamela, and Karen, they ID'd him in a hot second. Yeah. So now he's all over the news, this Richie Cottingham guy. And the NYPD is like, wait, what? Is this, I think, oh my God, is this our guy? I think it's our guy too. It's like, it took that, like it happened 10 miles that way. Right. And it took like the fucking newspapers covering this story for them to start connecting the dots. This is what broke the case. Now these detectives are working together. They're talking, cooperating, examining everything, comparing everything, putting the cases together. So the Burton County Prosecutor's Office executed a search warrant 
on the home of Richard Cottingham. And so now New York and New Jersey are working together finally. Yes, yeah. And they get a warrant for his house, which is in Lodi, New Jersey. But we learn there's a private room. And I'm like, oh, no. I know. Oh, I no. know. I hate private rooms. Private room in the house he shares with his wife and three fucking kids. And what they say is a little shade here. Yeah. And he deserves that and more. Because this room was in the basement so he could lock the door and be alone away from his wife, who's filed for divorce. <laughs> they let us know. You know what? She was Sandra was happy about it, too. She was like, Get away. I'm going to get away permanently. Sign these fucking papers. Here's my private room. It's the rest of the world, you asshole. Oh, my God. So, like, here's what's down there. They have, quote, pornographic artwork, Uh adhesive tape, S&M books, women's clothing, purses, and trophies. And a fucking vault. So this guy's got, like, a lockbox vault. And they find that woman, Marianne Carr, like one of the victims, they find a key to her apartment. They find a little stuffed animal that belonged to Valerie Street. They have, it's a koala pin. Yes. And there was something about it. It's like a really cute little koala pin. And there's something about seeing it where I like burst into tears. Like, I want to know, and I also don't want to know the psychology behind the serial killers, what they decide to pick for the trophy. Yeah. Why do like, why that? I also just want to say too, it's not koala bear. It's just koala. They're marsupials. So... (laughs) You are really setting the record straight about a lot of things today. You had a lot to get off your chest. They're marsupials. Okay. We can't say koala bears anymore? Well, they're not bears. They're marsupials. They look like bears. I know they do. Okay. (laughs) They also have like a syphilis problem. They do? Yeah. They've got those claws. Are they dangerous? I, I mean... I want to pet them. Look at those ears. I want them to like snuggle, you. snuggle me like yeah. they snuggle the tree totally. with those gigantic claws. I, my, I know. Mike is like, this is how she I dies know. by a fucking. There's koala. a great video of like Portia de Rossi like hugging a koala bear, but then she looks like the thing's about to eat her. Oh my god! <laughs> so we're back to Dominic, his coworker. Can I just take this for one second? Because Dominic was like, when I got to work and I found out that he was arrested, I was shocked, and I was like, you were. You've yeah. been saying for the last two hours what a creep this fucking he's guy like, was. He's like, we didn't know what was going on with him. We thought he was lying about everything. <laughs> so in New Jersey, he's charged with the drugs, the sedatives, the knife, the rape, the abduction, the assault, and the murder. Yeah. Wonderful. So then we meet his defense lawyer, Donald Conway, who says, look, at the risk of sounding vain, I'm the best lawyer in North Jersey. At the risk of sounding vain, my reputation was I was the best lawyer, not only in Bergen County, but North Jersey for sure. Every time a newspaper article would refer to a significant crime in the county, I was waiting for my phone to ring. And like, bring, bring, the, Richard's know. mom calls him and she's like, my son's innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you gotta defend him. Listen, Daisy, you murder somebody, I'm testifying against You're you. You're going down, girl. I love you. I'll come and visit you in prison. I'll never stop. But I'm not going to fucking defend you if like you're a how, Like, Daisy, honestly, like, I know she didn't do anything yet, but like... What are you thinking? I know. What, like, We've don't made do it that. so clear. I know. We don't I know. want anyone to do that. Right. Put us out of work. Put us out Daisy, of work. Daisy, don't be part of the problem. Please, girl. So May 19th, 1981, it's trial one. And this trial is covering the crimes against and like the murders of Valerie Street, Susan Geiger, Karen Schilt, Pamela Weisenfeld, and Leslie Ann Odell. Right. So Dennis, the prosecutor, is arguing that he had a signature, right? The abduction, the handcuffing. And apparently someone tells us this is the first time this has ever been argued in court, that like a serial killer would have a signature. And so because the point is like, and then he would have like, he would run a knife over their bodies to just make them terrified. Oh and God. like the point, the, the thing that makes it a little advanced is that 
Sure, the crimes were committed in different ways, but the signature is the same. Exactly. So maybe he strangled her or maybe he shot her or maybe he yeah. decapitated them. But like what led them there was yes. all the same. And, and that was like pretty advanced for the time. Yeah. And all of the women that we talked about earlier, the ones that are still alive, they all testify. They testify to the beatings, the biting, the threatening, the torture. This is like so amazing and so scary and so incredible that they did all this. To, and also to like... So vulnerable for them to say, like, yes, I was a sex worker. Yes, I wanted to get out of this life. Yes, I went with him because I, I needed to. And this was probably also a first on that front. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like sex workers. Remember, like, the, in the earlier trial when the two sex workers didn't show up for the case against him? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, yeah. why would they have? That's an important point that we don't hit on enough in this yeah. documentary. Like, how hard it must have been for them to admit who they are yes. and what they were doing and yes. why they got here. And yeah. also to just say it. Yes. And be questioned constantly about it. But then my favorite thing that happens happens. He takes the stand in his own defense. He denies all of it. <laughs> Richard Cottingham's defense was I didn't do it. What a fucking idiot. What kind of dumb ass murderer takes the stand in their own defense? And, and says, oh, all the jewelry and the trophies, that's a coincidence? Why do you have Marianne's house keys? Why do you have... The koala, Valerie's not bear. Koala. The, the koala marsupial pin. Why that do you pin. got it? Oh, that, I, I burst into tears. That I fucking know. broke my heart. So then he's like, okay, yes, I was a lousy husband. Yeah. I love the nightlife. I got a boogie. Okay, I paid sex workers. What? Ever. So he's just trying to say, like, I'm a cheater, but I'm not, like, a sadistic psychopath. Yeah, and so, like, the other thing, too, is that his alibi is that I couldn't have done this because I was at work. You guys, guess who's here to save the day? His co-workers <laughs> throw him under the bus. He so deserves to be run over by. Other guys in the office were afraid to testify against Richie because they were in fear that Richie might do something to them or their family. But I wanted to hang him by his balls. And, that, and that's the reason that uh, I wasn't afraid to testify. His alibi for a lot of these murders, well, I was working. I was working. And then I told the prosecutors, they said, look, I can tell you why he wasn't there. Dominic is here because the other co-workers were afraid to testify. And he says, I wanted to hang him by his balls. Right. So his alibi was, I was working. I was working yes. all the time, right? No. So Dom tells us about how Richard would cheat the clock. He yes. would hack the computer. Again, in 1980, the computer is as big as one whole floor in the building. Totally. He would hack it. So he would make it so that like 10 minutes was 10 hours. Right. So he was not actually at work, but the time, the punch card yeah. made it look like he was. And like, honestly, who understood computers at that time? Who understands computers at this time? Like the computer says so, it must be true. And Dom is like you, assuming that everyone's like at a Broadway show uh -huh. or just at a party because Dom's like, I didn't know what he was doing when he was cheating the clock. I just thought he didn't want to sit in his cubicle. He goes, murder was the last thing on the I know. list. He didn't think he was doing any of that. And so he's fucking found guilty and his mother blames the lawyer. <laughs> you know what, lady? Now I'm going to blame you. I know. I hate I know. blaming the Remember mother. Remember before but... when we were saying, like, are we still blaming the mother on creating the serial killers? Like, oh, she's trash. Yeah, she's totally trash. So that's trial number one, found guilty, thank fucking God. Yeah. Now trial number two is in New Jersey for Marianne Carr. Guilty. Yes. Trial number three, 1984 in May, New York for Dita Godarzi, who started this, yep. Jane Doe and Jean Rayner. Guilty. Can I just say, though, yeah. that Dita's trafficker, what was his name? James. Yeah. Dita's trafficker, James, was waiting for this fucking piece of shit in the hallway and beats the living shit out of this It's guy. like, you don't want to, like, feel anything nice about the yeah, traffickers. But, like, <laughs> that guy needed to get the shit kicked out of him at the very least. Even as they're dragging the trafficker off the killer, he's like, let me just punch him one more one time. One more time. Look at his face. I just want to get him right in the face. Right in the jaw. Mm. 
So he's sentenced to like 200 years in Trenton yes. State. Amazing. Uh, Vernon the cop, your boyfriend Vernon. We I haven't seen have him in a long time. My Vernon. He goes to see this guy and asks him to identify the Jane Doe that was with Dita. And he just like laughs and chuckles and dick. won't do it. And so 30 years go by. And he doesn't say a word to anybody. Yeah. But like literally doesn't write a letter. I'm assuming his family never came to visit him because like he's in prison and does not speak to he's anybody. He's like, mom, stop. <laughs> all the guys are hearing that you're calling me all the time. That wife took the kids and ran. Thank God. Thank God bless him. Change right? your names. So it's 2009. Yeah. And we see him. He looks like shit, by the way. He looks like shit. As he should. Yes. And so we meet Nadia. I thought it was Nadia, but yeah. she, she, she introduces herself. It's Nadia. Yeah. And she interviews serial killers to discover the deeper side of them. Now, in that podcast I was telling about yes. the last episode, we learned that Jennifer, she like sees this interview that Nadia does. And that's how she gets the idea to go and like kind of, quote, befriend this guy. Right. Because what Nadia does, it works. Yes. She gets him to confess something he hasn't done ever. Because she says, I asked him why he committed so many murders. He never acknowledged that he ever did any of the murders. Right. But he answers her question. It was a game to me. It was, it was mainly psychological. Uh, I was able to get almost any woman to do whatever I wanted them to do, psychologically, you know, or through the, the threat or the implied threat. And he says it was a game. It was psychological. You know, I could get any woman to do whatever I, I mean, wanted. So, I was like, a god. To say that out I know. loud. I know. It's fucking crazy. And in the tone. And, you know, it's just like, you know what? I don't really care about this guy's fucking feelings. Like, yeah. I don't need a deeper understanding of him. No. He hates women and he wants to be in control. The end. I solved it. <laughs> like, I don't care. Right. We don't need a profile. We know. Like, I really don't give a fuck about this guy's feelings and what his motivation is. It's very clear. Totally. So we're back with Barbara, the sex trafficking survivor. She's the one who says like I was trafficked for 13 years yes. and the average lifespan of someone in my position was seven years and yes. so she's never met anyone from that time she was also on the street so the whole time I was in New York City I had no identification no social security number uh, no burst, nothing, no identifying anything. She goes deeper into that. She's like, I didn't have an ID. Yes. Like, if, if she died, no one would know who she was. She would have just Doe. been a Jane Doe because her trafficker wouldn't let her have an ID. Right. You well, know? Well, because of course not. Yeah. And so we learned that a lot of sex workers who were killed were known as NHI, which yeah. stands for no human involved. I don't really understand what that means. No human involved in what? Are they calling them not human? Yeah. Like, like it's not important. Uh-huh. Like, if you watch Succession... NRPI, no real person involved. That's uh -huh. also part of it where it's like, no one's going to care. No one's asking. Right. There's no ID. Yes. There's no social security number. No one cares. Yeah. Like, let's not report it. And uh -huh. then the crime uh -huh. numbers will be okay. And uh -huh. it's like, that's sort of, that's like why they did that. It kind of benefited everyone if we it's just sort of just ignore all this. It's crazy because it's like, then why did they care about solving this murder so much? It, it is, you know? it's weird. Yeah. It is weird. But we're back with Jennifer, who's Dita's daughter. I think it's awful when... A killer kills someone and thinks they're going to get away with it. And if there's up to 100 women and children that Richard killed, he was going to go to the grave with all these cold case stories. And I just can't fathom that. So I wanted to learn more, and I knew I could only find out more from Richard himself. She says, like, look, if he really killed 80 women, I wanted answers. Yeah. And another thing in the podcast, she wanted to know what became of her mother's head. And she, like, that was one of her big reasons for reaching out to this guy. And, like, she says she exchanges 
friendship for information. Uh-huh. And she says, now, look, we're not really friends. She's kind of juicing him for information. Yeah. But she works with him to close cold cases for murders that he's never taken responsibility for until Jennifer. Like Nancy Vogel. Is yes. one. That's a name that they tell us about. And yeah. so he's like, yeah, like teenage girls, like from 1968. Like yes. well, this guy was only on the radar maybe like this 1973, 1974, and then 1980. But like 1968. And we get all these names. It's Denise Velasca from 69, Jacqueline Harp from 68, Irene Blissé from 1969, Marianne Pryor from 74, Lorraine Marie Kelly from 74. Like, it's possible that he really does have 80 victims out there. It is. It is. It's super possible. So Nobody was looking. Nobody was looking. Because, like, that's the thing, right? So he started out with teenage girls in the yeah. suburbs, not sex workers, close to home. Yes. And it's true. Like, then he expanded. Then he progressed to sex workers in Times Square, and he got away with it because no real person involved, and yep. barf. And so, like, Dr. Melinda ends it, and she's like, look, the sex workers I've spoken to, and that's her job, right, to be an advocate for them. According to the sex workers she's spoken to, the biggest problem is that it's illegal. Right. So if we decriminalize it, it's the first step to creating regulations, which is, like, on their terms, by themselves, and it's just, it's a safety issue. Right. Like, it just seems so crazy to me that it's like, wouldn't you want to just, it's like, no matter what you think about it, it's just keeping a human being safe. They don't get into it here, but there are arguments for why we don't want to decriminalize sex work. Yeah. There's, maybe we destigmatize sex work, and we help sex workers. I don't know. There, there are definitely arguments to be made on the other side. There's just got to be a way to keep because these women safe. When if you decriminalize sex work, women can still be forced into it now legally. Well, that that's the you dangerous I mean? part of it. Yes. You know, like there's still a wet like children, and you know, there's yes. got to be. But regulation would solve a lot of the problems. I think is what everyone is saying. Right, and at least like keep having the conversation. Let's right. get a little, you know, yes. because yeah. then and it ends with on-screen text. Thank you, Joe. Now that I <laughs> know for sure. You know how to do it. Look at you, Joe. So he says, if you believe, if he says, he types on the screen, (laughs) if you believe a missing loved one was a victim of Richard Cottingham, please contact Crime Stoppers at crimestoppers.nypdonline.org. Like, (sighs) I do think it was still sort of exploiting the things that they were trying to argue against exploiting. Like that whole situation. It was like a lot of like... Look at how crazy New York City was in the 70s. Like, we get it. It's still no floating TV in the Hudson Girl. Not a one. <laughs> Not one. What's it called? Crime Scene, The Times Square Killer. I, tra- I thought this was really good. I really, really liked it. Go watch it. I thought it was real interesting. I learned a lot. If you want more Jillian and me, you guys join us on the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. Right now. Like this minute. Yeah. Like this very second. Don't forget, playing Broadway April 11th. I'm going to say it every week until we get there. If you're looking to sell the tickets you've already purchased, get in the Facebook group. Find that pinned post. We're going to do a standby line day of. We want everybody who wants to be there to be there. Yeah. And hopefully luck and timing is on your side if you want to get a ticket. Yes. Maybe you can be on the thread when someone's selling them. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know. We want you there. Join the Facebook group. I don't know what else to say. What are we doing next? Girl. What is it? Beanie Mania. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Everyone's oh. been screaming about it. I remember I used to work at a gift store in Cape Cod during Beanie Mania, and I had a list of people to call as soon as the beanies came in. Maybe you know some of these people. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because that's the thing. They're all it's all starts in a cul-de-sac in I suburbia. Know. And then it's like beanie mania. It's like oh my the God. fucking LuLaRoe for stuffed animals. <laughs> and like the moms cared a lot more than the kids of did. Course. It became all about the moms. Crabby. These women, oh these women in the cul-de-sacs. And some of the beanie babies are super cute. They are very cute. The frog is really cute. We love you guys. Stay tuned <laughs> for the trailer for Bonini Mania. Bonini's. The outtakes from this, which I can only imagine will be bonks. Yeah. And Jersey, I'm sorry. I, be yourself. <laughs> okay. Be you. All right. We love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. The biggest toy craze in history. They would just lunge and grab. A beanie baby is a small stuffed animal that fits in the palm of your hand. You almost feel like the beanie baby is a little person. He knew how to market his beanies. He knew how to get those emotions going. I would have paid whatever it took to get that beanie baby at the time. Somebody offered me $100,000. I said no. You guys, we are going to the Hellfire Club. We're going to the Hellfire Club. It's now a Dos Caminos, by the way. (laughs) It's like a fucking chain Mexican restaurant where Amy Schumer used to be a bartender. Oh, my God. Where you are having a lovely, wholesome lunch with your daughter. Talking about the sex club. It's a koala. It's not a koala bear. Oh, you just right. did it. Oh, God damn it. Look, oh, I can't, it can't all happen in a day. I know. I, I, it's a lot of work. All of these towns right over the river that I've never heard of. I used you to live in Lodi, Jersey. New Jersey. Never heard of Lodi. All, all these others. I'm like, what? Hasbro what? Heist? Really? No. Yes. <laughs> Where in Jersey did you live? I lived in Jersey City. So I, I know like Bergen. I know like, I know. Um, Newark. Like, Newark. I know Jersey City. I know. Uh, you know, two places in New Jersey. What's the other one? What's the Hoboken? Hoboken. I could say Hoboken. All right. Well, he lives in Lodi. Okay, yeah. uh, not missing much, apparently. No, I'm yep. sure Lodi's great. This was written by the police. Written Arson by the police. Arson has become an uncontrollable problem. <laughs> While you stay in the hotel. While you stay if in you the hotel. you have to leave your hotel after 6 p.m. Stay put in the lobby. Good luck. Look at this. Good luck. I'm going to send this to Amy so she can put it for social media. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, 